We're at the TN Holler on Twitter and Facebook. We also have haulers all throughout the state, all kinds of other places, including Memphis. Your small dollar donations go a long way. We're also sponsored by Lisa Parker. If you're buying or selling a home in Tennessee, please do it through her. That's a great way to support us, and we appreciate her support. We are joined today by Kelly Henry, who is going to talk to us about a case that I think you know anybody who's been in and around Tennessee probably has heard of. There's a lot of people who are very concerned about this issue. Purvis Payne is on death row, and his attorney is Kelly Henry, and this is happening in Memphis. Kelly, how are you today? I'm well. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. So, you know, as I was saying before we came on the air, I want to kind of treat everybody as though they're not entirely sure about this situation. At top of mind for a lot of people right now, there were just a bunch of rallies throughout the state yesterday for Purvis to leave death row. What happened, the broad strokes of how this happened and and what happened with Purvis's case? Sure. So Purvis was convicted in 1988 of the murder of a white woman, Sharice Christopher, and her two-year-old daughter and an assault on Sharice's son, Nicholas Christopher, in Millington, Tennessee. Racism combined with his intellectual disability conspired to wrongfully convict him of this murder. Purvis was 20 years old at the time. And as I said, as an individual living with an intellectual disability, he's the son of a Kojic preacher, Pastor Carl Payne, you know, a loving, religious, strict home, a two-parent family for many, many years and remained married until her death in 2006. They had three children. Purvis was their oldest. He was born prematurely, which is the reason for his intellectual disability. But they raised him with love and care and encouragement throughout his life. So when he came upon the scene of this murder, he was overwhelmed with terror at what he saw, but also the desire to help. Purvis was raised to help people. He couldn't think what to do. He was flooded, went to the phone to call 911, but couldn't think what 911 was. So he dialed 411. His fingerprints are on the phone. But there's no blood on the phone, which tells you that he's telling the truth when he says that's what he did. Reached down to take the knife out of Sharice Christopher's neck. She was still alive at the time. He nicked himself on the knife. We know this. We see the, the photographs of the nicks, but he did not cut himself. There's no, there's no bleeding from him. And what we now know as a result of DNA testing is that Purvis's DNA is excluded as being the contributor of the male DNA that is found on the murder weapon itself, on the on the handle of the murder weapon. There is male DNA there, but it's not Purvis's. It's just too degraded for us to be able to put into an FBI database. When Purvis saw the white police officer arrive, he froze and he panicked and he ran legitimate when you consider the history of racism and lynching in Shelby County and particularly in Millington, Tennessee. In fact, the law enforcement officer um, who arrived at the scene looked at Purvis and said, what are you doing with that blood on you, boy? And Purvis knew, oh no, I have to run. He was caught an hour later and the police never looked at the real suspect in the case, which was the victim's ex-husband who was violent, who abused her, who stalked her, and who had a history of abusing other women in his life, was ultimately murdered by a man. Kenneth Christopher, the ex-husband, was threatening him and had a brother on death row in Florida for a sexually motivated murder. Yet the police never looked at this suspect. Frightening that they never even looked at him. So they immediately thought Purvis is our guy. There tends to be pressure from the communities on law enforcement to make an arrest, to lock somebody up and probably to lock up a black man in that area. 
what do we know about the law enforcement at the time and the DA at the time? And is that still who you're dealing with? Great question. So the community was divided along racial lines. And one of the things that is a red flag for me about the investigation of this case is that the Millington Police Department has known civil rights abuses, people who have died in their care, who died by suicide, but we believe were hung. Purpose's family would always taught him, you know, don't speak when you go through Millington because this is what the police are, are like. They didn't bring in outside law enforcement to help them. So, you know, you have this major homicide case. You're a small town police department. And yet you don't call the TBI, you don't call the Shelby County Sheriff's Office, you keep everything very close, really within about four police officers. That to me is a red flag. They didn't um, process the crime scene correctly, or maybe they did and they just destroyed the evidence because there's a lot of evidence in this case that went missing. You know, Purvis's mother went to the police station the night that he was arrested and begged them to um, test him for drugs. And yet they refused which was, you know, critical evidence that got lost because the police refused to document the fact that they knew he wasn't on drugs. And yet they go to trial and allege that he was. But the evidence that they claim they took off of Purvis and that they claim tested positive for traces of cocaine, they lost it. So there was no ability to independently test it. At the time of trial, they said this piece of paper that supposedly came from his pocket had traces of cocaine. Nobody knows where it is. And one person says the piece of paper is blue. And one person says the piece of paper is white. And one person says that we sent the piece of paper to TBI before we sent it to the West Tennessee Regional Crime Lab. The other person says, no, we just sent it to the West Tennessee Lab. All these inconsistencies, no chain of custody, all of it suggesting that they jumped to the conclusion based on this racist theory that Purvis was a young black man who wanted sex with a white woman, which has gotten black men killed for centuries in our country, that they adopted that theory and put on blinders and didn't look beyond that theory. The DA at the time um, has been sanctioned multiple times in courts and by the bar for unethical conduct at the time of the trial, encouraged the jury to consider Purvis's dark hand and the victim's white skin. He is no longer with the DA's office um, in Shelby County, but we are dealing with a DA in Shelby County who has been cited as the highest um, instances of prosecutorial misconduct of any office, Fair Punishment Project out of Harvard, who herself is the subject of the New York Times bestselling novel Charged that chronicles her office and the ethical violations that occur in that office, particularly um, surrounding the Nora Jackson case. Her co-counsel in that case is the one you know, representing the state of Tennessee in court right now. It's a reminder of how important the role of the DA is and how much we need to pay attention to that. I know Amy Weirich, who is the DA now in Memphis, talk about her and you know people have issues with her. But the point is that DAs in general are very powerful. This is all reminding me of another case in Mississippi, Curtis Flowers, that was the subject of a, a podcast that everybody should listen to called In the Dark Season 2, pushing to get black men locked up for crimes so that arrests can be made. This is something that, like you said, has happened all over the place and something that we need to question. What are some of the key pieces of evidence that have been lost and the problems with the case that was made against him? Well, most outrageously, last year, when we were able to get into court with the help of the Innocence Project to request DNA testing, you know, we filed our pleadings um, under the statute. And one of the requirements in the statute is that you have to establish the evidence that you wish to test still exists. The DA, in responding to our motion, asking to test various items of evidence, including the victim's fingernail scrapings, told the court that the fingernail scrapings still exist. They said that the vaginal swabs no longer exist, 
they can't explain what happened to those either, but at least they said they didn't exist. But the fingernail scrapings did. This was July 29th, 2020. On September 1st, 2020, we were in court to have a hearing on the motion. And I had subpoenaed, you know, everybody who could possibly know where the fingernail scrapings are to come to testify. And the testimony was nobody knows where they are. There's no chain of custody. And no one was has been forced to explain what happened between July 29th and September 1st. It's just they're gone. They vanished. Well, where were they on July 29th? It's inexplicable. DA, in a capital murder case where you're going to execute a man, should A, not have ever fought against DNA testing to begin with. DAs use DNA testing all the time. And they should be moving heaven and earth to find this. Amy Weirub has issued these press releases where she says, you know, I want people to be thinking about the victims. I think about the victims. And I think the victims have a right to know who really committed this murder. Exactly way, right. You know, the way to answer that question is to test the DNA. And yet, right. you're not doing the victims a service by convicting the wrong man. It seems like they're sort of two separate issues. And I'm wondering if you could comment on both. One is his innocence in general. And then the other part of it is there's a fight to get him off of death row because he's intellectually disabled. And I think there was even a bill that just passed through the Tennessee legislature, bipartisan support made it so that people like Purvis wouldn't be able to be on death row with an intellectual disability. Where are things with his innocence, but also where are things with getting him off death row? So yeah, Purvis's case changed the law. Um, you know, he tried to raise his intellectual disability claim over a decade ago, and the DA's office just kept hiding behind these procedural rules, these procedural technicalities to keep him out of court. And when he got his execution day, first realized by Representative G.A. Hardaway, who came to the press conference that we had in August of 2020 and realized you know, what was happening with Purvis's case. And he said, you know, this is just wrong. Mm -hmm. So he introduced the first bill. It was ultimately um, a Republican sponsored bill that passed through both houses with only eight dissenting votes. Only eight dissenting votes in that legislative body tells you you know, the power of Harvest's case and how it is resonating. What they did is they basically eliminated all of these procedural technicalities and brought the Tennessee law into compliance with Supreme Court precedent, which was very, very smart. That is going to cut out years of litigation for a number of people. It will, it will speed cases along. So it was a wise decision on behalf of the legislature. And the governor signed the bill on May 11th at around four o'clock in the afternoon. And at 8.30 a.m. on May the 12th, we were in the Shelby County uh, criminal court clerk's office with our petition on behalf of Purvis. So we um, have been pushing that case very, very quickly. Um, it's going faster than most cases would go. And I, you know, really credit the criminal court judge for that. She's keeping everyone, holding everyone's feet to the fire because we know that, you know, the Tennessee Supreme Court could set an execution date. We certainly hope that they won't set one. We are moving very, very, very quickly with this. So we have a December 13th hearing date in Shelby County. The state has had their expert in to do an in-person evaluation of Purvis. We are cooperating with their expert in providing her documents, um, access to the witnesses that she has asked to um, interview. I have concerns about, you know, the bias of that evaluation, but that is what the judge is there for. And that's what cross-examination exists for. So we will be vigorously presenting our case in front of the judge should the judge agree um, with us that Purvis is intellectually disabled, that will not be the end of the story. State would have the 
right to appeal. Memphis supports Purvis Payne. Memphis does not want you know, this case to be stuck in the courts forever and ever. It's time for him to come home. And even though we are going to fight vigorously on this claim of intellectual disability, which we believe in very strongly, it doesn't end there because Purvis is innocent. It's not enough for him to just be off death row. Purvis needs to go home. You know, his dad has been in prison with him for 34 years. This man is 79 years old and he has Parkinson's disease. And yet he has stood by his son every step of the way. His sister, Rolanda, is one of the most amazing women I've ever met in my life. She's simply remarkable. This family deserves to have Purvis home, a free man. And so we will fight, you know, as long as there's breath in my body and as long as there's breath in Purvis's body to prove that he is innocent and to bring him home. It sounds like he's lucky to have you in his corner. Make it a mental note to check and see who the eight were that voted against. There's no date for his execution right now. There is a date for a hearing about his intellectual disability. That's in December. Hopefully he would be removed from death row and then the focus would become proving his is innocence. Public pressure is being applied to let Governor Lee and the powers that be know that the people are watching so that no date gets set and also so that awareness is created around the December hearing so that that goes the right way. So if people want to help out, it seems like that Innocence Project link is probably the place to go and send emails and get involved that way, show up at these rallies that are on street corners. Does that sound right? Yes. So um, Nashville is going to start having weekly um, rallies as well. American Baptist College Project, they are having weekly rallies now every Wednesday from four to five at John Lewis Way and James Robertson, as well as the weekly rallies at Union and McLean um, here in Memphis, where I am today. And yes, going to the purposepain.org signing the petition, you know, getting your name on the list so that you will get our text message alerts whenever um, there's another action. Lift this case up on social media. And if you're Generation Z, make a TikTok about it. One TikTok got 10 million views. <laughs> Let's say all that goes the way it's supposed to go and it comes back to the focus on his innocence. What's the process there right now? How likely is it that this case could get overturned entirely? We don't have um, an available path in court. So our path is through clemency. Clemency exists when the courts fail and the courts failed here. We anticipate providing a supplemental filing in support of clemency to Governor Lee um, in November, about one year after he granted us our reprieve due to COVID. As soon as we got fully vaccinated, we hit the streets. Your DNA is not a panacea. And like I said, the most important evidence has vanished. So we've had to go back to um, old fashioned shoe leather investigation. I can't talk about what it's produced so far, but it is yielding results. And we intend to provide an even more compelling packet of information for the governor to consider regarding Purvis's innocence. There's simply too much doubt in this case, and he has served too much time. I, I don't have any doubt. My, I know he's innocent. I know it. And I hope to be able to persuade the governor to our way of thinking. And it, it's a process. And I, you know, I don't fault the governor for waiting for the judicial process to work its way through in terms of the intellectual disability claim. But we are going to continue to push our case that Purvis should be released entirely and sent home. So it sounds like pressuring Governor Lee to pardon him. Clemency is an overall power that includes commutation of sentencing. So the governor doesn't have to go to a pardon. He could simply commute his sentence. I don't have a lot of political delusions about what 
can and can't happen. You know, an exoneration, a pardon, all of those things are things that we strive for, but a commutation of sentence in recognition of the fact that the man has served 34 years for a crime he didn't commit, likely that the person who committed the crime was never held to account, seems like a reasonable and a fair ask. Anyone who's met Purvis will tell you he is not capable of committing this crime. He had no history of violence, no history of substance abuse, and since the day of his arrest has never been written up, not once, as a model inmate for years. That's not the sort of person who would have gone in and committed this crime. Sounds like it would not remove it from his record, though, which is what Patty's asking. L is asking, have the police officers who are part of this, are they still living? Are they allowed to be questioned? And what would that look like? Some are deceased. And um, beyond that, um, I'm going to wait till my November filing. Purvispain.org, do all that, help out, stay involved. We'll keep watching it. Send us anything if we need to amplify it. Letting Governor Lee know we're watching is the first thing to do and, and getting involved in all of these different activities going out on the corner. Awareness creates change, and especially in this case. Kelly, thanks so much for coming on here. Thanks for what you're doing. Please keep us in the loop. Thanks for having me. Take care. Tennessee. 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 Tennessee.